Father, we ask for Christ to be magnified, that you, Lord, by your Spirit, would magnify your Son. I thank you, Jesus, that you've gathered here, Lord, with us. Lord, and as we draw near to you, we know expectantly that you so love to draw near to us. Would you manifest your presence here this evening? In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good evening, church family. How are we feeling tonight? Great. Great. Weren't those tacos delicious? Oh, we loved it, huh? We got got to email Pastor Rob. We need to do this every week, right? We love it. Well, I am Pastor Aaron, and I have the privilege of sharing the word. I also have the privilege of co-leading our student ministries with Pastor Tyler right over here. And uh, you'll, you'll see a recap of our summer camp uh, this, this upcoming Sunday. But I just want to say, for those of you who helped send those students to camp financially and prayed for our students, and who let us borrow your tents for the week, thank you guys so, so much. God's amazing. So a round of applause for our beautiful and wonderful church body. Also, we don't want to forget our online guests. If you're joining us online, we miss you. Hope to see you in person, but we hope that God would manifest his presence there in your living room or your car or wherever you're, li- uh, wherever you're listening. Uh, our, our vision for Focus Wednesdays is to learn in rows and connect in circles. So if this is your first time, our sanctuary doesn't normally look like this. What we do this evening is uh, to listen to a lecture, and then we break up into discussion groups. And so there's going to be some uh, discussion group leaders all around. And so if you're new and don't have a group just yet, just find an open seat, and they will welcome you to your group. And just by round of applause, would you thank all of our discussion group leaders? They've been doing such an excellent job. We love it. We love it. A special shout out to the, the group in the back led by Jarrell, and it's been so sweet to listen to the wisdom, you know, uh, of the group. Uh, Proverbs 20, uh, verse 5 says, wisdom in the heart of man is like deep waters, but a wise man will draw it out. And so hoping that, that you guys are drawing out that deep waters of wisdom uh, within that group and that Christ is being magnified. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to study verses 1 through 7 and then break up into our discussion group circles. And by way of context, as you're turning there with me, we remember that this letter is written by the apostle and pastor Paul to the churches in the region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to establish his ministry and to combat the false teachings that were perverting the simple gospel of we're saved by faith alone, through grace, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, there was legalism creeping up into the church again, saying you have to do this in order for Christ to benefit you. And Christ just knocks it out of the, uh, 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 Paul knocks it out of the park with just saying that Christ is sufficient. And where we're at in our letter as we begin to read, he's now uh, established his ministry, this is the gospel, and now he's really unpacking the truths of why it's so much better to relate to God on the level of grace instead of the level of the law. So read with me in Galatians chapter 4, and we'll read the first seven verses, then we'll pray and do our sermon outline and go for it. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and the Word of God says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. 
Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then heir of God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, your word has been read, and I trust, Lord, that by your spirit, you have, Lord, fashioned in hearts a willingness and an an earnestness to learn. I trust, Lord, that you've prepared the soil of our hearts to receive, and I pray that my words would be your heart, would be your words, that I would speak with confidence and grace. And I pray that Christ in everything would be magnified. Let fill us with your spirit, baptize us afresh by your Holy Spirit. And again, may Christ be seen and heard and felt and experienced in such an authentic way. May he be put on display for all of us to adore tonight. We love him, Lord, and we ask that as we study your word, we would learn to love him more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray and say... Amen. Amen. The title of our message today is Our Adoption Story. And the outline for this evening is verses 1 through 3, the time of our adoption. And then verses 4 to 7, the treasures of our adoption. So we'll look at our time of adoption, the treasure of adoption, secondly, and close out with a time of application as we dismiss into our circle groups. You know, I'm reminded that as we open the Word of God, that Romans 15, verse 4 says, The things that were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And this section here, these seven verses, derive so much hope for us in our identity in Christ, in in not relating to the Lord uh, and God the Father on the basis of the law, but according to Jesus and His grace. And I hope that you're leaving here tonight from from our lecture, from our discussion groups, with hope in Jesus. So let's read again verses 1 through 3, and we'll unpack it. The time of our adoption. Paul is writing again this letter. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So speaking of heirs, right, someone who's going to inherit something, just like there's a natural timeline for an heir to inherit his inheritance, so too there's a spiritual timeline as to when God would give Israel and the Gentile nations access to his inheritance of eternal life with him in heaven, but also the quality of life here that we can experience here on earth. So he's bringing in an earthly parallel. There's a physical timeline for an heir to inherit the inheritance, and there's a spiritual timeline for an heir in Christ to uh, inherit their spiritual inheritance. And so Paul is explaining that though Israel was an heir, there was a promise given to an heir, right, that there was still a timeline as to when they would really experience the fullness of their inheritance. Until then, Paul maps out in verses 1 through 3 that they were kept under the power of guardians and stewards. 
Well, in the context, Paul is referring to the tutor of the law as our guardians and stewards. The, the law was given to us as a tutor. We looked at that last week, that it was there to hold us, to teach us our, our, our dependency upon the need for a savior. You see, the tutor of the law taught us that we can't be righteous. There's no, there's no possible way that you can work or earn righteousness through the law. The law was there to teach you you desperately need a savior. You desperately need a savior. So in that time that God was equating or using to, to teach Israel and the Gentile nations, he was using the law to point people to their need of a savior. But notice the adjective that Paul uses to describe the identity of Israel when they were kept under guardians and stewards, which is the law. Everyone say the word bondage. This is the word that is used by Paul to explain what they were in relation to the guardians and stewards of the law as they waited for the inheritance. They were in bondage. This is a slave term, right? They were enslaved. In fact, the word bondage used means enslave or bind or bring under subjection. These are slave terminology words. And these would have rang... um, some remembrance for the Jewish leaders because they knew about slavery, right? They were enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved by many different nations. And so they were also enslaved by the law. They were enslaved to keep the law. And they were enslaved. They were in bondage. And their hearts would have cried out, when am I going to be redeemed? When am I going to be freed from this slavery And this was all to point towards their desperate need for a savior. Notice that Paul says that they were in bondage. They were slaves to the elements of the world. What does this mean? The elements of the world. Well, these are also translated as the basic principles of the world. I did a deep dive study into this, and really it's the way that you relate to God on the level of the law. The basic elements of the world is you do this, you get that. So it's very conditional. Just like our society today, I mean, that's why maybe it's so hard for us to accept God's grace, is because it's free, right? And so we always think that we have to do something in order to earn goodness. And so these are the basic elements of the law. It was conditional. Do this, get that. If you don't do this, then you're cursed. You know, Israel and those who follow the law were kept as slaves to this mentality. There's no rest. There's no assurance. Because what if you mess up, right? There's no hope of eternal security when you relate to God in this way. So they were enslaved to this bondage. And this was the time, an elongated time, that Christ and God saw fit to to, uh, hold Israel under this timeline. But he didn't leave them in that timeline. And I love the grace and the mercy and the timing of God. Have you ever struggled with God's timing in your life? Raise your hand. Yes, right? God's timing is something I can never figure out. You know, there's been so many promises given to me, and I always think, oh yeah, that means it's going to happen tomorrow, right? Or maybe you've had that similar experience where God has given you a promise, just like Israel, I'm going to produce a salvation through the line of Judah, right? And it's like, is it this? Is it David? Is it Solomon, right? And and they all like fall short. And I've related to the Lord in that way too, where God has given me a promise, and then like, where are you at? (laughs) Right? And, and so many times we think that God's late, but in reality we're just early, right? Or we think that God's, God's early, but we're just late. And, and all, the, you know, all the different things that play around with God's timing, I could never get it. But this was the time that God had set in his infinite wisdom 
to hold Israel and the Gentile nations that were looking for Messiah under the law, but he didn't leave them there. Imagine being trapped in that system for years and years on end, just hoping and waiting for the Messiah. There's so much pressure to perform. There's so much pressure to hold the righteousness on your shoulders, but Christ, man, he came at the right time. And when did he come? He didn't come when we were perfect, because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says that God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a time for everything, Paul's explaining. There's a physical timeline of your adoption or of your inheritance, and just like there's a physical timeline, there's also a spiritual timeline. God, what was God doing? So you have to ask, so what was God doing in the time before the fullness of the time had come? Like, was he being distant? Was he just being, um, you know, was he hiding himself? And, And Paul doesn't go into it, but if you zoom out in Scripture, you see that God has perfect timing in everything, we, might, we may not know the fullness of why God did that, but we do know that he was setting up the stage for the Messiah. He was setting up the stage for Jesus. You see, there was prophecies given that were pointing to the Messiah, and through that time, people who were keeping track of what time it was should have experienced and known that this was Jesus when he came on the scene, that this was the Messiah, You know, God was also establishing a nation. He was establishing a law, and he gave the law to teach our need for a Savior. So God was doing a whole bunch of different things, and I hope that encourages you that when you don't understand God's timing in your life, that he's doing infinity things, and you are only aware of, like, one, (laughs) you know? Like, he's late. (laughs) That's all you think, right? But God is doing something. By way of personal story in relating to God and time in a kind of a spiritual timeline. Um, when I was 19 years old, um, God had promised um, and confirmed it that, you know, that Aaron, you know, you're going to be a husband. And I loved that promise. And I'm like, I'm 19. I'm teaching at the Bible college, right? And so there's so many great picks, right? And it's like they call it bridal college for a reason, right? And so I'm 19. I'm thinking, wow, so next semester in the fall, you know, she's going to walk in there. And I'm just going to know, right? And our eyes will connect. And, and, and she's going to catch my eye. And I'm going to go up to her and say, can I have my eye back, you know? And just like all these different things, right? But God, God, God said that when I was 19 years old. And semester after semester passed and still... The one didn't show up, you know? And, and it, what the hard part is, in, in my background, I have four brothers, right? So everything's a competition. And so my older brother gets married. Okay, he's, he's the oldest, right? That makes sense. He gets married, and I'm like, I'm still waiting, you know? And then number three, the brother under me gets married. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then the fifth brother, the, the, the youngest, he gets married. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm looking at my time, right? My biological clock. I'm like, okay. And then the fourth brother gets married, and everyone's having kids and and moving, and I'm just like here, single, waiting for a Pringle, and like, God, like you told me that I was going to get married, you know? You said I was going to be a great husband, and I was going to be a father. And and, and that time period that God chose to wait, I'm so thankful for it, because it fashioned in me characteristics that I would need when the Lord would bring my beautiful bride, and she's right over there, Miss Ellen. So it took, right, almost 11 years for that promise to come to fruition, but I'm so thankful that God had me to wait 
in his time. And I'm so thankful that Ellen waited for me too. God had a timeline with Israel when the inheritance would come, and it was a physical thing that he related to. There's a physical timeline, but that was a spiritual timeline. So Paul is unpacking this now. Hey, we're living in this spiritual timeline right now. And guess what? Christ came at the right time. And so just a side encouragement as we continue to study through the word. If God said it, he's going to do it. And he doesn't need your help. You know, if God said it, he's going to do it because he cannot deny himself. He is faithful, even when we are faithless, right? There were so many times walking around the lake at the Bible college. Has anyone ever been to the Bible college, right? Yeah, there's a beautiful lake over there. I'd shed a, I'd shed a, a quick tear, you know, of loneliness. And I would be so comforted by the Lord that if God said it, he's going to do it. I'm like, okay, then I'll wait. And you see in Scripture, the people who didn't wait, they got themselves into a lot of trouble. But when God moves, it's perfect. He's perfectly perfect in his time. And again, when you think that God's late, you're just early. So we think about all this stuff, and we forget that waiting is also worship. You know, that in the time of waiting... Waiting is worship. And so this was all taking place in the wisdom of God, for the wisdom of the people and their spiritual hunger for the Savior. And what did Jesus say in Mark chapter 1, the first recorded words of of Jesus in Mark chapter 1? The time is fulfilled. So he is the fulfillment of that waiting period. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus was perfectly on time. There was probably a deep spiritual hunger there was a deep need of, of keeping, uh, of trying to keep the line. I can't do it. And, and, and you know, it, the, the roads were being paved, the, the very roads that the Apostle Paul and the early missionaries would use to extend the gospel to the, the four corners of the earth. And so God knows what he's doing. Do we trust him in that? The time of our adoption, there was a waiting period, but now the fullness has come now. And so we move here to now the treasures of our adoption in verses 4 to 7. And this is where, this is really cool because I get to brag about what Jesus has done for us. And so many times we forget what Jesus has done, especially when we're in a trial. We seem to be kind of like David in the Psalms. How, how long, O oh Lord? Where, where are you? Would you? Will you forget me forever? Will I take counsel in my soul daily, drowning and eating my tears? But when we take a step back and remember the value and the love of Jesus and the love of God found in Christ Jesus, it alleviates Man, those worries, and it calms our anxious hearts. So we get to talk about our treasures of adoption, and it's so easy to forget. And so I hope tonight that you're really, really soaking up uh, the hope found in these couple of verses. Four to seven, it says this. But when the fullness of the time had come, the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The first treasure of adoption is that we are redeemed from the law. We are redeemed from the law. And notice it points out that Jesus was the right person for the job. He fit all the different necessary requirements. He was born of a woman, which means he was fully man. 
And Jesus, as a man, he was born under the law. Jesus was a good Jewish boy. He, he uh, was circumcised the eighth day. He read the Torah. Um, and unlike many Jewish men, he actually kept it perfectly, the law. He was perfectly perfect in keeping the law, and, and which made him the perfect sacrifice for us. But notice that he was born of woman. He needed to be a human to experience our deep pain, our deep struggles, our, 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 our deep needs. And he's our sympathetic high priest now. But he also had to be fully God for his blood, his eternal blood, to be effective for the, 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 the first day until the last day. So Jesus had to be fully man and fully God. And how are we redeemed from the law? We're redeemed by Jesus' blood. Not anything that we've done. Not anything that we could do, but we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He lived that perfect life. He fulfilled the law. All the requirements that were necessary in order to, re- to achieve righteousness, he fulfilled. And then he died that sacrifice for us, the law that we could not keep. So that in simple faith, this is what Paul is trying to get at. Just by your simple faith, not your works, can you be made now a son of God? Can you be righteous before him, perfectly known and fully loved? The first thing that we are redeemed from the law, we're bought back from the bondage of the law. The second thing is that we receive the adoption as sons. And, and that word, it can be sons and it's daughters. It speaks of family. And I love that this is all about Jesus because when we receive him, according to John chapter 1, verse 10, uh, sorry, one, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. We receive adoption as sons through simple faith, in Christ. Again, not what we can do or what we didn't do, but it's all about Christ. And it's just that simple faith. And I love this, speaking about kind of the heirs and the inheritance. As a son or daughter of God, there is no waiting period for you to, inher- for you to inherit the inheritance. There's no coming of age that you need to reach in Christ. If you, are a, if you believe in Christ, then you are an instant heir and you get to experience what God has for you now. Not just heaven, but the quality of life here on earth. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I'm talking about the joy in the trial, even when everything is going crazy, that, that, that stream of joy. I'm speaking about the Holy Spirit giving us instruction when we don't know what to do. I'm talking about God's miraculous way of opening doors and closing doors in his sovereignty. We get to experience the inheritance of being with him even before we reach heaven. There's no coming of age. There's no death that needs to happen anymore because Christ already died. He has freed up the inheritance for us. We are adopted as sons. And I was thinking about an adoption and I was thinking about, you know, if I were to adopt, you know, I don't want to get the, the athletic kid, you know, the athletic genes, right? Or some singing talent and put them on to like American Idol, make a lot of money, right? And so, man, I want the choice. I want the choice of the choice of those, you know, of those kids. And for us, Christ looks at us, right? He says, these are the ones that I want. These are the ones that I want. Even when we feel that we should not be adopted, he's like, I want that one. And here's the thing about God. He never wastes an adoption. If you are in the family of God, you have a purpose in the family of God. He never wastes an adoption. 
And get this, when the enemy reminds you of your past, when, when, when he says, hey, you, you're not fit, yeah, you're not good enough, um, by faith, you can confidently hold up your adoption papers that are signed in Jesus' blood. I love that, because the enemy is always speaking those lies, you know what I mean? You're not valued, you're not loved, you're not good enough, Tyler's a better preacher than you, Pete's a better singer, I know, right? But I'm still adopted, all right? And just like all of us, man, when the enemy is speaking those lies, that you're not worth it, that you're forgotten, you can hold up by faith your adoption paper signed by the blood of Christ that says, I am worthy, I'm loved, and even though I'm not perfect, God is making me perfect for his glory. Notice that we are adopted as sons, and notice it's not as servants. We're adopted as sons and daughters first, then the servants. It's from this place of identity in him, of being a, a fully loved son or daughter, then comes the assignment. And for my life, I confess, all too well have I traded the assignment for Jesus over my adoration to Jesus. And here's a word for us. We're sons and daughters first, then our occupation, then what we do. But we're his first and foremost. And from that place of being adopted into the family of God, then flows authentic ministry, and then flows your ministry, and then flows your mission field. But when we get it reversed, we fall into the trap like the, book, like the church in Ephesus, right? They were doing all the right things, but they left their first love. When we realize that we're fully loved as a son or daughter of God, then comes the authentic ministry that Jesus would be proud of, that Jesus loves. We're sons and daughters first, then we're his servants. It's adoption, then assignment. I love that beautiful identity that we are his, no matter what. And this is something the enemy can't take away, because why? The next thing, the, second, uh, the third uh, treasure of our adoption is that we have received the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Notice that we have received the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts. So the Spirit of Jesus lives in you. And what is it crying? It's crying, Abba, Father. First, we had the cry of the slave, when am I going to be redeemed? When am I going to be righteous? Now, because of Christ, of simple faith in him, now our hearts cry, Abba, Father. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And I'm sealed for the day of redemption. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is coming back quickly. And the Holy Spirit is our seal for that day of redemption. He is the one pruning us. He is the one sanctifying us from the inside out. He is the one that is making us practically righteous, not the outward obedience, but through love for Christ. He is the one giving us the strength and the grace to do it. We have, the, we have received the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts, not our minds, though we need to know about Christ, but it, the, the heart speaks of nearness and intimacy with God the Father. We have the Spirit of God living in us and residing in us and sealing us for the day of redemption. But know this, in the, the New Testament, there's three relationships that we can have with the Holy Spirit, right? The three Greek words, the first one is en. Oh, sorry, para. Everyone say para. So the Holy Spirit is with us. According to John chapter 14, he's pointing us to the need of the Savior. He's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit is now pointing you to the fact you need a Savior. When we say yes to Jesus, when we yield to that conviction that we need a Savior and we cry out to Jesus, now the Holy Spirit comes in us. That's what he's talking about. We're adopted. And that Greek word is en, E-N. Everyone say en. en. 
and we're sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is working in us a sanctification for the glory of God. But hey, there's a third relationship that we can have with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit coming upon us. The Greek word is epi. Everyone say epi. And this was the promise given to the disciples. Wait in Jerusalem and tarry in there until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and baptizes you. And so not only are we sealed, but now we have the opportunity to now live for him in his power, in in his strength, in his grace, as the Holy Spirit epi comes upon us. And now we're effective witnesses for Christ. Before, when we're afraid to share the gospel to our coworkers, now we have a holy boldness because the Holy Spirit has been baptized afresh upon us. And, and, And now we're sharing our testimonies, and now we're sharing the love of the Lord. And so the Spirit of Jesus, what a gift it is to us, not just to seal us, but to empower us. And the grace upon grace upon grace that God gives us, he doesn't stop there. The last treasure that we see mapped out here in our passage is that now we are an heir of God through Christ. This is crazy. We are an heir of God through Christ. And I'm reminded in Genesis 15 verse 1, you know, what is our inheritance? Well, God maps out to uh, to Abraham that I am your shield and I'm your exceedingly great reward. Our inheritance is being with him first and foremost, and then from him, the benefits of being with him, the joy, the peace, the perspective, everything I was talking about before. So we are an heir of God and and through our works. No, it's through Christ. It's all about Christ. And aren't the treasures of our adoption amazing? No wonder the enemy wants to let us forget it. When we're in that spot of forgetting who we are, our identity of an adopted son, I always think of that uh, Lion King, right? Simba's having an identity crisis. He's supposed to face Scar, Nala's challenging him, right? And what does, Simba do, uh, what does uh, Mufasa do in the clouds? Remember who you are, right? Remember who you are. For us today, saints, beloved of the Lord, remember who you are. God is perfect in his timing. We looked at that. There was a physical time. Now there's a spiritual inheritance for us. And now we're adopted into the family of God. As we make our way into application and break it up to our groups, um, man, we talked about God's timing. Ask yourself, you know, how can I better trust in the Lord's timing? That's a difficult thing. But how can I better trust? Is it reminding myself about the faithfulness of God in the past that should spur me on to obedience today? How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to write a journal, and I'm going to read the journal every week or something like that. I don't know. But we need to remember that God is perfect in his timing. You know, the Christian's challenge, I've heard it this way. It's surrender to God's will in God's way in God's time. Right? So, long, so, so often we want God's will, but in our way and in our time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and the challenge is it's God's will. I want to surrender to God's will in God's way and in God's time. So we talked about that, and we also talked about the treasures of our adoption. And I'm so thankful, again, that I don't have to wait to experience the inheritance of an adopted, of being an adopted child, and you don't have to wait either. What might be things in your life keeping you from experiencing that adoption? Uh, Sorry, that inheritance of your adoption. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to dismiss us into our groups, and we're going to continue that conversation and let the Lord be glorified. And again, if you don't have a group just yet, go find an empty chair. So, Father, thank you so much. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for our adoption, Lord. If there are those who are not adopted yet, Lord, may they throw their heart over the line and put their faith fully in you, Lord. Would you facilitate that in the groups this evening? Would you speak to us and remind us of who you are and how great you are? We love you, Lord. We give you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. Amen.